Graham Smith. I'm the head of obstetrics and gynecology at Queen's University and the Kingston Health Science Centre here in Kingston, Ontario. We established the Mothers Program to provide a reliable source of information about pregnancy on the internet with the goal to improve mothers' health through education, research, and screening. The Mothers Podcasts are an extension of that. Today, we're going to be discussing how to get pregnant. And our guest today is Dr. Brian McGee. Dr. McGee is a reproductive endocrinologist infertility specialist at the Ottawa Fertility Centre and the Kingston Health Sciences Centre. Brian, welcome and thank you for speaking with us. Thanks so much for having me today, Dr. Smith. We're not going to talk about the birds and the bees, but for people who are trying to get pregnant, what can they do to increase the chances of success? Yeah, so this is a really good and, and quite common question that I get. Uh, so if we if we go right back to the basics, the best thing you can do is to have unprotected intercourse. Um, so ideally, this would be sex every day or every other day, um, but that can be hard to sustain for some couples. Um, so often we talk about something called the fertile window, um, which is the six days leading up to and ending with ovulation. Ovulation is the release of the egg from the ovary into the fallopian tube. And it usually happens about halfway through a person's menstrual cycle if they're having monthly cycles. And some people use signs to help determine when their ovulation is occurring. For example, some people will notice more watery, clear vaginal discharge. And some use home ovulation prediction kits to try to narrow that window around ovulation. So if you and your partner are having sex every day or two, then timing intercourse any more precisely doesn't actually improve pregnancy rates. But if you travel frequently or work shifts or there's issues with painful intercourse or erectile difficulties, then using these other methods to time intercourse can help. Um, If you're someone who prefers using lubricants, there are some sperm-safe lubricants that we recommend to use during the fertile window that don't reduce sperm movement. You can order these online or buy them at a pharmacy, and they're often labeled as fertility-friendly. Another option would be that certain oils like canola or mineral oil can be an inexpensive alternative to that. If we look beyond sex itself, other things that help maximize your chances of pregnancy include trying to keep an average body weight by eating a varied and healthy diet and exercising, avoiding smoking, and not drinking too much alcohol or caffeine. Um, But despite all these things, about 10 to 15% of couples will struggle with infertility, and it can be really frustrating when you're doing everything right. So this can become extremely stressful for couples, especially if it goes on for a prolonged period of time. I've heard uh, or had questions about whether there's one sexual position or another that increases the chance of conception. Is that actually true? Yeah, so patients will commonly ask about sex positions, and the final answer is any sexual position that's comfortable for you and leads to ejaculation in the vagina will do. Um, Some studies have shown that within even two minutes uh, after ejaculating, sperm has already made its way through the cervix and uterus into the fallopian tubes. Wow, that's fast. (laughs) It is. Yeah. And um, another common um, myth is that, you know, female orgasm improves uh, the chance of pregnancy. And and that's uh, that's not true. And there's nothing about sexual positions or orgasm that increases the chance of having a girl or boy. Yeah, there's a lot of interest around that question um, related to uh, the person's cycle length or the timing of intercourse relative to ovulation that changes um, the likelihood of having a boy or a girl. But ultimately, 
uh, many studies done back in the the 90s have failed to show any consistent pattern. Um, And as a mom of three boys, clearly I am no expert. (laughs) After uh, intercourse or after ejaculation, a lot of the semen or seminal fluid leaks out of the vagina. Should women remain lying on their back for a period of time after intercourse to increase the chance of conceiving? Yeah, so believe it or not, sperm actually only makes up about 5% of the seminal fluid volume. Uh, the rest of uh, that volume is made up of sugars called fructose and, and proteins and fluid from the seminal vesicles and the prostate that help to protect and nourish the sperm uh, as they're making their way through the vagina to the uterus. So it's normal for that fluid to leak out after intercourse because it's only that small bit of volume that's supposed to supposed to make its way beyond the vagina. Um, And as I mentioned, the sperm moves quickly. They get wicked up by that slippery cervical mucus into the uterus and quickly swim to the fallopian tube. So lying on your back or standing on your head won't won't actually make a difference. (laughs) For those who are actively trying, what percentage get pregnant in the first month or the second month or... Yeah, so the the chance of pregnancy is very much dependent on the the female uh, the female's age. So in people who are you know in their late teens, early twenties, pregnancy rates can be as high as thirty three percent per month. But by age thirty, that pregnancy rate per cycle is around twenty percent, and by age forty, that chance goes down to five percent per cycle. The other thing that influences the chance of pregnancy is how long the couple has been trying to conceive. So uh, in people who are less than 35, about 60% will conceive in the first six months and 80% will conceive by a year. So that's why fertility doctors like to start seeing people who haven't conceived by that one year mark. And so should couples, if they're getting close to that one year, reach out to their family doctor or primary health care provider or you wait till you're beyond the year and... Yeah, I think as you uh, move towards the one-year mark uh, for uh, people who are less than 35, uh, it would be reasonable to reach out to your family doctor first um, and initiate some um, uh, testing that can easily be done in the community. Um, For women who are above 35, even at the six-month mark, we would recommend reaching out to your uh, primary care provider. So if you're having trouble getting pregnant, what would a typical workup entail? So um, the first step is to make sure that the couple's having frequent intercourse and that the the woman's uh, cycle lengths are pretty regular, which means that she's usually getting her period uh, somewhere around every 28 to 32 days, uh, which um, predicts that she's ovulating. After that, we would offer testing, which includes a semen analysis, uh, a test to check if the fallopian tubes are open. And often some blood work to make sure that the hormones that send messages to the ovary to grow an egg are all in check. So what are the options for assistance to get pregnant? Well, there are three main options for a male and female couple trying to get pregnant. Um, If the female does not ovulate every month, then we can often give a pill that helps with ovulation. This is called ovulation induction And it works best for people who don't ovulate because of a condition called polycystic ovary syndrome. If the female does ovulate on her own, then there are two other fertility treatment options. One is called super ovulation, and it's combined with intrauterine insemination. And the other is in vitro fertilization or IVF. 
Superovulation and intrauterine insemination involve helping the ovaries to make two or three eggs each month instead of just one to create more targets for the sperm. The ovulation is then timed with a procedure called insemination where the partner's semen is washed to remove all that other stuff we talked about so the sperm can be placed directly into the uterus. This placement of the concentrated moving sperm into the uterus is called intrauterine insemination. Um, for IVF, this involves helping the ovaries to make many eggs at once. Uh, in this case, the eggs are removed from the person's body using a special ultrasound with a needle so that in the lab, the eggs and sperm can be combined and grown into embryos. So with uh, IUI, in uterine insemination with partner sperm, so presumably the partner has to masturbate and provide a sample, and that's taken to the lab, it's washed, you collect the gold medal swimmers, you leave the honorable mentions behind, and then it's, is it put up right away or is that saved for another day? Yeah, it's uh, the sample is provided by um, ejaculating with masturbation um, the same day that the insemination happens, usually about an hour to an hour and a half later, um, because the washing process takes some time in the lab. So what are the success rates that you would quote with in uterine insemination or, or IVF? Yeah, so like natural pregnancy rates, uh, the pregnancy rates with uh, intrauterine insemination or IVF mostly depend on the female's age. Um, at best, monthly pregnancy rates with IUI are around 20% per cycle, and with IVF, uh, at best, about 50% per cycle. I've heard uh, people talk about worries about significant costs associated with assisted reproductive technologies. Can you give me a rough idea in terms of what it might cost for, you know, a cycle of IUI or IVF? Yeah, sure. So the cost of fertility treatment does depend on the province that you live in and whether or not you have drug coverage through some kind of third-party insurance plan, often with your work. Um, in Ontario specifically, IUI treatments are covered by something called the Ontario Fertility Program. Uh, but people are still responsible for the cost of the sperm washing, which usually ranges between $500 and $1,000, and then the medication costs. And depending on the combination of medications used, which may be pills uh, or may be injectables, the cost can be between $200 and $1,500 a cycle. And what about for IVF? Is it similar? For IVF in Ontario, there is funding for one lifetime cycle uh, per person who, who is eligible, um, and that would cover the expense of IVF and injection of the sperm into the egg if that's needed. Um, the medication costs would range between three dollars and $7,000 without drug coverage, um, and if you're paying out of pocket for IVF, that could range between uh, $8,000 and $12,000. So what's the chance of multiple gestations with twins or triplets? Yeah, so fortunately, as fertility treatments have advanced over the last, you know, 30 years, the goal of all fertility clinics is to achieve a healthy single pregnancy. Um, one of the, the biggest risk factors of fertility treatment is the chance of having twins and very rarely a, a triplet pregnancy. Fortunately, there's a lot that we can do as fertility specialists to keep these risks as low as possible. But even though most twins are born healthy, a twin pregnancy increases all the risks during pregnancy and delivery for both the mother and babies. So with uh, IUI, twin rates range between 8 and 13%. Uh, and sometimes treatment cycles are cancelled if the risk is thought to be much higher than that. 
For, for IVF, most young people receive what's called a single embryo transfer. So the embryos are grown in the lab for five or six days, and the single best embryo is selected for transfer, which almost eliminates the risk of a twin pregnancy. There's a small risk of twinning from that embryo splitting before it implants, and this would be an identical twin pregnancy. Uh, that said, as women get older, so usually women 38 years and above, um, they have an overall lower chance of pregnancy with fertility treatment. And so in those cases, uh, we will opt to uh, have a discussion about transferring two embryos, which can increase the overall chance of pregnancy and carries a, a lower chance of twins. Certainly, uh, use of any of the assisted reproductive technologies has been associated with an increased chance of complications in pregnancy, twins, multiple gestations being one of them, but also an increased chance of things like preeclampsia. I would just remind people that the use of assisted reproductive technologies is an indication for starting on low-dose aspirin in the first trimester to decrease the chance of that, and it's being shown to be quite effective, no significant risk for either mom or baby. So what are the options for same-sex couples or individuals that want to conceive but don't have a partner? Yeah, that's a great question too. And I would say that about a third of my practice involves using uh, donor sperm to help uh, single individuals or same-sex female couples build their families. Uh, so most of the time, we can actually simply time the placement of frozen thawed donated sperm into the uterus with ovulation in a very similar manner to intrauterine insemination, which I talked about earlier. This gives people the same chance of pregnancy uh, as a naturally conceived pregnancy as predicted by their age. Individual males or same-sex male couples can use donated eggs and a gestational carrier or surrogate uh, to carry their pregnancy. And in Canada, all fertility doctors who offer treatments uh, comply with both the Assisted Human Reproduction Act as well as Health Canada's safety regulations to ensure that everyone is kept safe when using or providing donated egg and sperm. So what about egg freezing? You know, you have a single woman plan delay in family planning or, you know, they're requiring chemotherapy. Yeah. Uh, so egg freezing has become a, a much more popular option for people who choose to delay their plans to build their family or who are about to start some kind of treatment that will affect their future fertility. For example, people with cancer who are about to start chemotherapy or radiation. So about seven or eight years ago, egg freezing became a treatment uh, that was much more successful because of a change in the technology for uh, freezing eggs. We used to do something called slow freezing, and now we do a quick freeze process called vitrification, uh, which means that the frozen eggs are much more likely to survive and lead to uh, pregnancy than they than they were before. So still, though, the success of egg freezing depends on the person's age at the time of egg freezing and the total number of eggs to predict the probability of at least one live birth. Just to go backwards, for couples who are going through IVF, often they have more embryos than you're putting back in. Those get frozen. What's the success of putting a frozen embryo in versus a fresh embryo? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, when embryos are grown in the lab, they usually grow over five or six days, and we can start to differentiate the embryos that are growing right on track and under the microscope have good quality, which means the cells are symmetric without a lot of um, fragmentation in them. Those embryos or uh, are considered good quality and are freezable and are very likely to survive the freeze-thaw process. And if they do survive, then they carry the same chance of pregnancy as a fresh embryo. Any other comments for uh, individuals or couples trying to get pregnant? 
You know, I would just say that struggling with fertility can be really hard. It it can make people feel vulnerable uh, and alone, and it can add a lot of stress to relationships. And it's one of those things that's actually largely out of your control. Um, The process of fertility tests and treatment can be intimidating. And of course, they may include costs that affect your choices and your timeline. So just remember that your family doctor or your fertility specialists are here to help you and they'll guide you through this journey. Um, so don't wait to reach out if you're struggling. Thank you so much, Bryden, for taking the time to join us to discuss how to get pregnant. I want to thank our guests, as well as Adelaide Burroughs, who helped to produce this podcast for those behind the scenes. We will put links to more information on this and other topics on our website, www.themothersprogram.ca. The Mother's Program is all one word. If you have any comments or suggestions or ideas of topics or people who we should interview, please use the contact section of our website. The next podcast, we will be speaking with Dr. Claudio Suarez, who's the professor and head of psychiatry at Queen's University. We're going to be speaking about pregnancy and postpartum mental health. Until then, stay safe. <music>